moment, we'll commence today's show talking politics and social issues with the co-executive director of the historic Highlander Research and Education Center in Southeast Tennessee, Ashley Woodard Henderson. She is absolutely brilliant. You'll want to hear that in a moment. Before we get to Ashley, though, Norman Lear, the groundbreaking television writer and producer, died last evening at the age of 101. Norman Lear was the man throughout the 1970s and early 80s writing and producing hit after hit after hit. Good Times, The Jeffersons, All in the Family, Sanford and Son, Maud, One Day at a Time, the list goes on and on and on. Lear's success would show future television writers and showrunners how to mix political and social messages with comedy and somehow make it all work. But as one of the founders of the organization People for the American Way, Norman Lear was also an unapologetic and outspoken advocate for truth and justice. On his 100th birthday, he wrote a guest essay for the New York Times saying, and I quote, To be honest, I'm a bit worried that I may be in better shape than our democracy is. Close quote. That's Norman Lear, truth teller. I am humbled and honored to say that Norman Lear was my friend. I'm not even sure how that happened, but having grown up watching his many hit shows, I could never have imagined that we'd ever be friends, let alone sit for so many public and private conversations. Tomorrow, a full-on tribute to Norman Lear, but when we come forward, I'll share a snippet of a conversation we had when he was uh, 95 years young, after which we'll commence our conversation with the brilliant Ashley Woodard Henderson. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, love, this is Tavis Smiley. Day one. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. In a moment, we'll commence our conversation with Ashley Wooded Henderson of the historic Highlander Center in Southeast Tennessee. But first, a short clip from a conversation I had with the legendary television writer and producer Norman Lear, who passed away yesterday at the age of 101. If you listen very closely, you'll hear Norman, uh, Norman Lear use a, a phrase that I utter almost daily. The fact that I said something that Norman Lear teased me about and found worth repeating still gives me goosebumps. Norman, good to see you, my friend. How are you? If I had a complaint, I'd be an ingrate. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I, I am fascinated. I, w- I was writing a piece the other day, an op-ed piece, and I referenced you in the piece. I'm not sucking up. This is actually a true yeah. story. I-, I referenced you in this piece the other day as one of the persons who I admire for being able to craft a life of meaning and value and purpose well into your 90s. How do you do that? <laughs> uh, you know, you, you mentioned well into your 90s. At sure. 95, I don't wake up to be old. Mm-hmm. I wake up to with something on my mind. Mm-hmm. I wake up 
having gone to bed with the uh, with with the taste of coffee in my head for mm-hmm. the, the next morning. Mm-hmm. I I know I have lots of things to do. I wake up to do those things. So I feel myself to be the peer of whoever I'm talking to. If, I, if I'm talking to a 12-year-old, I'm 12. Mm-hmm. If I'm talking to Tavis Smiley at 38... Uh, no, more, more like 12. <laughs> <laughs> Closer to 12 you, than 30. You're talking to a 12-year-old. Yeah, yeah. In my mind, I'm sure. So <laughs> that's who I am. Yeah. And that's who what I feel. Yeah. Who do you surround yourself with? I, I You and I are both friends of Quincy Jones and, and, and Q. Yes. One of the things that Q has said to me for years, and I've seen it in action as one of his friends, and he certainly has friends much younger than I, but Q surrounds himself with a lot of young people. He, he listens to all kinds of music. There are always young folk at his house asking, asking his advice and hanging out with him, but he surrounds himself with people who are young. Who do you surround yourself with? Well, I guess the same thing happens to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, first of all, I have six kids. Yeah, yeah. They're considerably younger than yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how old is your youngest? My youngest are twins who are 22. Mm-hmm. And they just graduated from college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're fabulous. The best thing maybe in my life mm-hmm. is that all six from three different mothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my wife, Lynn, my wife for 30 years now, mm-hmm. uh, they can't wait to be together. We'll be together at Thanksgiving. We'll be together again at Christmas. Mm-hmm. We'll be together every chance we get, and everybody wants to be together. Mm-hmm. There is nothing going on in my life better than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, at 95, how do you keep the creative juices flowing? I don't know that I keep them flowing. I guess the interest, curiosity. Yeah. Uh, at 95, you're still curious about the world? Oh yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I'm amazed that uh, that at this age I can have insights that I could have had at twenty, mm-hmm. and they come to me later. <laughs> uh, just about myself, let alone the rest of the world. Right. So, uh, you know, somebody once said, uh, "I've got to find out because I reference it often. I don't remember who said it. Uh, Each man is my superior, in that I may learn from him." Mm-hmm. I've never read or heard anything that I thought more worthy, rock solid than that. Norman Lear was my superior, and I learned a great deal from him. Tomorrow, our full-on tribute to Norman Lear, uh, dead at the age of 101. We'll talk tomorrow uh, with Norman Lear um, uh, about his iconic career. So I look forward to tomorrow's show and bringing you some of uh, the best of my dialogues over the years with uh, Norman Lear, once again, dead uh, today, uh, yesterday, in fact, at the age of 101. So make sure you tune in to our program tomorrow. Now, uh, to an amazing show uh, in front of us, uh, we commence with Ashley Wooded Anderson, who is the co-executive director of the historic Highlander Research and Education Center uh, in Tennessee. Ashley, it's been too long. Good to hear your voice once again. How are you today? It's always a good day to be talking to you, Uncle Tavis. Thanks for having me. It's my great delight to have you on the program. Um, let me let me commence as we always do. You, we've talked enough times uh, publicly and privately over the years, but certainly in our public conversations, uh, you know how I do this. I always start with the same question because I want people to know who don't know. Uh, and again, as the years go on and as new generations uh, uh, tune in to talk radio and programs like these. I want them to always be in step with us, lockstep with us. The Highlander Center is a very, very 
well-known, well-traveled, famous, iconic institution. It's got connections to Dr. King. I'll stop and let you take it from there. So for those who do not know about the legacy, the work, witnesses, witness of the Highlander Research and Education Center, uh, let's do that first, and then we'll jump into some politics and other social issues I want to take your temperature on. Take it away, Ashley. Yeah, so, I mean, the Highlander Center has been around for now 91 years, almost almost a whole century. Mm. Um, and we're, we're the movement school. We're where you come if you want to be a part of a catalytic grassroots organizing and movement building community. Um, we're rooted and grounded in Appalachia and in the South where I'm from. And we work with people who are fighting for justice, equality, and sustainability. And we support their efforts to, t- to take collective action to shape their own destinies. And so we use popular education and language justice and participatory action research and cultural organizing and cultural work and intergenerational organizing to build spaces both at Highlander and in local communities where people get to learn together and build new knowledge. They get to dream and hope and build their courage together. And, and frankly, we're about the business of expanding ideas of what is possible in this country and, and in, in the world as a whole. So we've been doing that since 1932, and we're still doing that today, developing the next generational cohort of the freedom movement. Mm-hmm. Say a bit about the legacy of the center in terms of those who've been there, the work they've done, how they use Highlander. I mentioned King and others, but say a bit about the history. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, obviously the folks that listen to your show know that by the time we got started, we were on the brink of, of, of economic and social collapse because of the Depression, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we did a lot of work with, like, not even working class folks, but just cash poor altogether folks um, to build across racial differences in a time where it was still illegal to be doing so, right? Mm-hmm. 1930s, integration had not yet happened uh, in, in a legal framework. Um, and we went on to do work with the labor movement. We helped with the integration of the AFL-CIO, uh, which used to be two separate organizations. Uh, we did work, as you mentioned, with Dr. King. Uh, Rosa Parks was trained at Highlander a couple of weeks before the Montgomery bus boycott, went on to be our, on our board of directors. Mm-hmm. Septima Clark was on staff and went on to be on the board of directors. And if you don't know Septima Clark, she's one of the world's greatest teachers who was a part of the development of citizenship schools in this country uh, that brought black people together uh, to learn the the tricks of the trade of being able to participate in the voting and electoral processes in this country. We've worked with folks that were doing environmental justice work. We've done work with Spanish-speaking folks who were coming into movement spaces that were predominantly dominated by English-speaking people and figured out ways that folks could be together across language barriers and differences. We've done youth organizing work and continue to do youth organizing work through our Seeds of Fire and Children's Justice Camps. Um, you name the front line of struggle, and we've been involved, and we're currently <laughs> members of the, the movement for Black Lives and the Rising Majority and many, many other con- like 21st century contemporary social movements for justice. It is an iconic institution. I know she probably gets tired of me asking that question every time we talk, but I always want the audience to know about this center. Uh, and uh, again, as I say all the time, my, my work here, my job is to make sure that everything I know, you know, uh, not that I have a monopoly on the truth. I, I recognize there's the truth and there's the way to the truth and I don't have a monopoly on it. But the truth that I do know, uh, I, I am uh, obliged to share with you. And I believe in uh, in sharing and saying what it is that I see and have seen. And I want people to know about the Highlander Center and all the, the history embodied in this place that now is almost 100 years old. We talk about Norman Lear dying at 101 yesterday. Uh, Highlander is almost 100 years old. And to, to just think, as Ashley was saying a moment ago, that this is the place 
where Rosa Parks was literally a couple of weeks before she sat down on that bus so that we could stand up. She sat down. We're still standing because of that. Um, she was thinking about uh, Emmett Till, she said to me many times when she sat down. Mm-hmm. But she was trained at Highlander just a couple of weeks uh, before she made uh, that decision uh, that uh, made her the mother of the civil rights movement. She wasn't the first one to do it, as we all know, uh, for those who know your history. Uh, but she had the courage uh, to, to, to make that decision that day, uh, uh, like a tree planted by the water, to not be moved. And the rest, as they say, is history. But she was trained in preparation for that moment at Highlander. It's an amazing institution. If you don't know much about it, I encourage you to Google it and read about it. Uh, and I feel uh, humbled that I've had a chance to share with you uh, an institution that you might not have known about heretofore. And Ashley Wood Henderson is carrying on the, the righteous uh, work of this entity, and I'm always delighted to be in conversation with her. Uh, there's some breaking news about Kevin McCarthy I'll get to in just a moment here. He made a big announcement, uh, former Speaker of the House. Um, but you mentioned labor, amongst uh, other things that you mentioned, and I, I was just reading a piece uh, this morning um, in the New York Times, I believe, maybe in the Washington Post, but a big piece I was reading in one of my many readings today uh, about the the year that labor has had. I haven't seen the time person of the year yet. I don't, I don't, I don't think they've even announced it yet. But labor could very well be the person of the year for the cover of Time magazine <laughs> that they do every year. So since you mentioned labor, what do you make of the year that labor has had in this country? I mean, not only the year, but the season. And I think that's, that's what, the, if there's anything to learn, I think 2020 to today is, is a time where we're going to be thinking about what it meant for the Bucks not to go on the court, right? What mm-hmm. it meant for WNBA players even before that who have been saying, listen, not only do we care about the disproportionate uh, rates of pay, the, 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 the sexism and patriarchy related to the to the, the careers that they are building, um, but also very much about social and economic issues in the communities that they're both from or that they play in. Um, you know, if we're talking about, you know, hockey, like all of the entertainment industry folks, if we're talking about this year and the writer strike, the actor strike, um, and, and even you know, to talk about more economically disenfranchised people, to talk about Starbucks workers and other mm-hmm. low-wage workers that are, that are building organizations in their workplace. You know, I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee, so I'd be remiss not to talk about the auto workers and mm-hmm. teamsters and teachers and just all of the folks that are saying enough is enough. And quite frankly, even those of us that work in the nonprofit sector, right, we're even seeing people that build social movements saying even our labor deserves to be organized in intentional ways and figuring out radical transformative ways to do that in service of our movements being successful and practicing what we preach around our, our values and our politics. So, you know, I think what we know for sure is that the state of women in labor, uh, the state of low class, like low, low income and working class people building up a labor movement from the grassroots up um, and folks in, in nationally visible entertainment industry related labor um, whether they make a lot of money or not, right? Everybody in South Africa is not a millionaire. In mm-hmm. fact, many of them are not, right? They're folks, uh, they're actors who don't get paid a lot. They're background actors. They're folks that, you know, make sure that there are mics and, and video cameras and all the things that allow us to enjoy uh, the privileges of being able to, to benefit off of their labor. They're saying enough is enough about the concentration of wealth uh, in the hands of a few at the expense of us selling our labor and our bodies and our time uh, for the sake of their for these other people's profit. And so 
I think it's it's important for us to be able to see the sort of radical change that we want in this country. It's going to require us having a shift in our thinking about labor and what it looks like to build a country that, that prioritizes human development over profit, uh, what it can look like to live in a country where we don't have to work at all, mm-hmm. um, uh, is actually where I'm trying to get to. Uh, where we can actually just be developed and be good people and do do things that are work but are our vocation and not just folks making economic decisions to do whatever they've got to do to get to the next day to support themselves and their families. And so uh, I feel proud of much of the work that has happened in the labor movement across sectors um, and across the country over the last three years, and I feel particularly proud to have been a part of of the labor fights this year let me let me pivot uh not even pivot let me swing wide from where we are now talking about the progressive nature of the labor movement to the other side of the political aisle uh the republicans the gop breaking news here kevin mccarthy announces he will leave congress at the end of the year uh, just about two months after being ousted as speaker uh he will exit the house one year early not so sure how much he's going to be missed, <laughs> Ashley. Uh, but he's announced he's leaving, which is fascinating because when Nancy Pelosi said she would step down as speaker, um, she did not leave. As a matter of fact, she ran for a re-election. Uh, so she did not leave. Steny Hoyer did not leave. James Clyburn has not left. But Kevin McCarthy says he's leaving and leaving a year early. Again, not sure how much he'll be missed. I've only got about two minutes for you to comment on this. We'll continue when we come forward. But what do you make, not even not even so much of this story that he's leaving, um, but uh, what it uh, what it says about the disarray that they, the GOP, uh, is in or experiencing? I mean, I think, again, to the, to the knowledge I have about your listeners, I don't think that you all will feel surprised <laughs> if time. Uh, 15 tries to even get into the position of speaker in the first place. He then got kicked out by the same people that got him in. Um, you know, I think some folks are like, we'll believe it when we see it, um, to, to your point, Tavis. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think what this concretely means in the in the, the, my, the, the most minute way is that he will be leaving before the special election to replace George Santos, the world's best liar, mm-hmm. um, which means there will be two Republican vacancies. It does not give the Democrats the majority or even get them neck and neck um, in, a, in a sort of tie situation where Speaker Johnson would need to break the vote. But he would need to lose three votes to, to uh, be able to pass measures without bipartisan support. Um, I think what we also need to know is that just because he might not be in his house does not mean he won't actively be working to support and expand the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And that's just as dangerous as his ability to govern, right? If he's picking the next generation of GOP leaders, we should all be quite concerned, especially if we don't have and we don't have a party apparatus that that currently is respected and, and, and accounted for in a majority kind of way, even a, a strong minority kind of way in the House or the Senate or the federal government as a yeah. whole, to be able to, to actually fight for the interests of our communities. And so I wouldn't count him out. Um, yeah. If he does step down, uh, when he does step down from elected office, he will still, and he said this, right? He wrote this, that he will actively be working yeah. uh, with the GOP. So, and that is that is just as concerning. Nope, I, I hear your point. Um, in case you've just tuned in, Kevin McCarthy announces he will leave Congress one year early at the end of this year, and many are saying, I'm sure, 
Good riddance. Uh, just getting started really in this conversation with Ashley Woodard Henderson, who is the co-executive uh, director of the uh, historic uh, Highlander Research Center uh, in Tennessee. A great deal more to cover when we come forward. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically blind. Black, black, black. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Ashley Woodard Henderson, who is the co-executive director of the historic Highlander Center in Tennessee. Uh, delighted to have her on uh, today's program to commence us in this first hour. There are a couple of things, Ashley, you said moments ago that I want to give you a chance to sort of unpack for me because it, um, it, it, they, they hit me and I'm sure the audience uh, might have been similarly impacted. Um, the first thing is um, your your suggestion, uh, your quote about dreaming, hoping, and building courage together. I heard that line, that we dream, we hope, and we build courage together. In a moment like this, in late modernity, uh, politically I'm talking now, socially, culturally, economically in this country, how do we dream, hope, and build courage Together, beautiful phrase, building courage together. I mean, if there was ever a time where our literal lives depended on doing that, it's right now, right? We are facing down the consolidation of resources and energy and movement towards an actual fascist America. And that is terrifying, but also not a foregone conclusion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's going to require us to stretch what, what our expectation for what is possible in this country could be and to do so relatively quickly. Right. Um, and I think, I think we've been bending time since the uprisings in 2020 to help people see that there is a world where they could be safe beyond the carceral state policing and incarcerating massive amounts of black people amongst others, uh, where we could actually see a true representative democracy where there's respect for human rights and that we have fun. Everybody has fundamental freedoms where we have free and fair elections, where there's a pluralist system of political parties and organizations that actually represent our needs, desires, our wants, um, that there's an actual separation of powers, that there's independence of the branches of government, right? That there's freedom of expression and of the press. Thank you, Tavis, for continuing to fight to make that true. Um, and constitutional subordination of all the state institutions to the legally constituted civilian authority, right? Mm-hmm. That the highest decision-making members of our, our states should be us, right? Um, and I think what we've seen is the consolidation of MAGA forces in a, in a united front with other conservatives who desire a world where white nationalism, Christian nationalism, patriarchy and ableism, homophobia and transphobia ableism and other forms of systemic oppression actually rule the day for the sake of them being able to consolidate their wealth and power. Mm. What we also know is objectively true is that there's a pro-democracy united front that is all of the rest of us, and we actually are the majority. So if we can't vision together, if we can't take collective action together, even if we don't ultimately line up on every single social or economic issue for the sake of stopping fascism, we will find ourselves not collectively accelerating towards the vision of the world that I just described will collectively accelerate backwards. There's not a going back 
to the to the normalcy of what we've seen under the Democratic Party's leadership because the neoliberal project has failed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're either going to collectively accelerate forward or we're going to go backward. And I think what we're seeing is the GOP, particularly the MAGA forces inside of the, the Republican Party, do everything in their power mm-hmm. to be ungovernable in a way that breaks governance so that we collectively accelerate backwards, and we have to fight that. I always love the frame that Ashley puts us in. Um, she's so brilliant, as I said earlier. Uh, when she was talking moments ago, my mind went to that Bible verse that says, Come now, let us reason together. Come now, let us reason together. But you heard Ashley say, Come now, let us vision together. She knows how to turn a phrase. Come now, let us vision together. And uh, and I love that. Um, Ashley, you mentioned fascism. And I, I happen to know because I've been following you, as I always do, that you are moderating another one of these sessions tomorrow in your fascism 101 series. This would be session six. Uh, I love that you've taken this on as a task, assigned yourself to do this, uh, to do this work, this righteous work. Tell me about this uh, fascism 101 series and the session that you're moderating tomorrow. Absolutely. I mean, this really came about in part because I was obsessed about what I was seeing, right? I was seeing all of the, the plays and the playbook of fashion start to come into fruition, right? In a, in a scaled way that was having national implications. What's real is black people have been living under the thumb of fascists for a very long time. We've been implicated, particularly as black Southerners, by uh, the continued threat of the consolidation of fascist movements into state and municipal governance. Um, But what we're now seeing is that become a reality on the national front, right? Folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's Mm. an absolute fascist, Haley and Ron DeSantis, who are absolutely fascist, um, who don't necessarily govern on the federal level yet in any powerful way, um, but are vying to. And if they do, we also have seen that the Heritage Foundation and a lot of other conservative organizations in relationship with them have built Project 2025, which is an almost thousand word document that they are now calling their war plan, um, which essentially is a plan to absolve all of the administrative mechanisms of the executive branch and the federal government and to take all of those powers of like the EPA and the Department of Education, the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice, absolve all of them and put all of their powers underneath the president, um, which absolutely takes us to a fascist government, right, an authoritarian Mm -hmm. government. And that would happen in the first 180 days of a GOP presidency in 2025, should any of their candidates become the nominee and then the president. Um, And that's that's terrifying. So I was obsessed. I was asleep over it. I ended up in a conversation with uh, folks like Linda Burnham and Jared Dixon. And I sent them an email and said, hey, y'all, like, can we do some political education about fascism? Because, frankly, the vast majority of us don't really know what it is. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't know how to know what's happening. Um, And there were great debates inside of movement about whether or not this country was or had been fascist, when actually what we need to be talking about is how we stop a fascist movement, whether they currently have power now or not, right? Um, And so we've had several uh, webinars in the series already. We had one on the definition of fascism. We had one about the money, like what's the economics of fascism? Who is financially benefiting off of this movement? Who is funding this movement? We've had conversations about how that impacts gender and sexuality. We've had conversations about how that impacts faith um, and people's faith practices and the co-optation of faith by fascists. Uh, We just had a webinar last month about the global faith of fascism um, and had comrades from Palestine and comrades from India and comrades from Bangladesh and experts on multiple different forms of global fascism talking about why that matters 
and how the U.S. is working actively to support fascist movements in other countries. Um, and then tomorrow night, uh, we're going to have a conversation about the local face, the domestic face of fascism. It'll be tomorrow from 4 to 5 Pacific time, 6 to 7.30 Central time, and 7 to 8.30 Eastern time. Uh, folks from Political Research Associates will be there, folks from United Vision of Idaho, who is an incredible group of folks that have been texting Trump voters and without uh, agitation, asking them why they support a fascist, where does it hurt, and then using that data to peel them away from the right wing. Mm -hmm. We'll also have Ashley Green from the incredible organization Dream Defenders talking about the fascist state of Florida um, and the ways that they've been fighting against the criminalization of dissent um, and supporting formerly and currently incarcerated people's vote and building a youth movement nationally to fight back against fascist and authoritarian threats. Um, and I'll be moderating and talking about why that matters to Southern folks and, and why what happens to the South happens to the country. And I'd be remiss by if I didn't ask right quick before I move forward, how, how folk link up to that conversation. Absolutely. You can go to bit, B-I-T dot Lee, L-Y. So B-I-T dot L-Y backslash fascism 101 R-E-G. So it's bit, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash fascism, F-A-S-C-I-S-M 101 R-E-G. We'll give you that uh, information again. She mentioned it twice already, but uh, before I lose her at the top of the hour, we'll give that information to you again. Um, it's an amazing series, uh, and uh, I love how she started with a fundamental definition of what fascism is, and they've been building on it in this Fascism 101 series. Uh, tomorrow is session six. When we come forward with Ashley Wood Henderson, I told you she was brilliant. I told you that. <laughs> and that's why she's the co-director, exec director of the Highlander Center. It was, it was good enough for, for Dr. King and Rosa Parks and others, and September Clark, uh, and Ashley is carrying on that tradition, then you know she's got to be a serious sister. Indeed, she is. She mentioned Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. They've got that debate tonight. Uh, thankfully, the only good thing about it, at least to my mind, thankfully, is that the numbers are shrinking. So I think there are just four left. There are still four standing, all running for second place. Uh, but that debate is tonight. Donald Trump had his own town hall last night on Fox News. We'll get uh, Assy's read on that in particular. And then she made this comment earlier about uh, perhaps one day living in a democracy. I call it an experiment in democracy. We ain't quite there yet. Well, we don't have to work at all. What did she mean by that? More to, uh, to probe and to interrogate when we come forward on Tavis Smiley with Ashley Woodard Henderson. This is getting good. Tavis Smiley continues when we come forward. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. I'm Tavis Smiley. She is Ashley Wooded Henderson. She's the co-executive director of the Highlander Center in Tennessee. And uh, again, delighted to have her on this program. My time is getting away from me. So let me move uh, swiftly here to cover a couple more things right quicker, Ashley. Um, I mentioned uh, that Donald Trump had his own town hall last night. I love the fact this guy doesn't show up for any debate, doesn't show up, <laughs> and wants to be their nominee, is in fact the presumptive nominee, but gets his own town hall last night in Iowa on um, on Fox. And then tonight, those running for second place are on stage uh, for this next GOP debate. You mentioned uh, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis. It appears to me that Haley is starting to gain some traction uh, as the person running a game for second place. What's your read on this GOP, you know, nonsense? Yeah, I mean, talk about a mess. Um, you know, just to, for folks that didn't see the town hall last night, Trump was as, as nutty as he's always been um, and getting worse by the second. He said that Biden won't be the nominee, he's, you know, basically admitted that he's going to be a dictator from day one of his, his 
presidency. Um, you know, he, he spent most of his time, in my opinion, responding uh, to Joe Biden's platform and, and, you know, being dismissive of Nikki Haley saying really outlandish things about like the Democrats funding her campaign and contributing to Ron DeSantis's campaign and uh, made the assessment that he's going to win uh, Iowa. Um, so, you know, he's not speaking from a place of fact. It's not even worth wasting your time trying to tell you what happened. Mm. Uh, what I think we watching, you know, the only reason to pay attention is to, to know what the enemy is doing, right? Right. Um, and then in, in terms of tonight's debate, I mean, I think, as you said, the, the field is getting smaller with uh, the North Dakota governor dropping out and Tim Scott from South Carolina dropping out. Um, and I think you're right that folks are paying attention to what's happening with Nikki Haley um, and way less of, to Ron DeSantis, which I think last time I was with you, I was pretty certain DeSantis was going to be the nominee, and mm -hmm. I have been wrong. But he pulled defeat out of the jaws of victory um, uh, to, to be so far behind Nikki Haley now. But I don't think the window for another nominee is totally closed and locked just yet. So we shouldn't we shouldn't count Nikki Haley out, um, mm -hmm. and we should be paying so what's happening with both her and DeSantis's super yeah. PAC. Um, um, I think the issues to watch out for tonight, they're going to talk about foreign policy, right? They're particularly going to talk about the Ukraine. Um, they're going to probably use it as an opportunity to kick up uh, even more dust around their support of Israel, um, which is also a fascist state. Um, they will talk about government shutdown because it's ever looming and the possibility of it is always and the House Republicans just can't agree on a budget. Uh, because of where they're going to be, you can imagine that they're going to talk about abortion and what uh, is what the Republicans are going to do in sure. a post Roe versus Wade environment. Um, and there'll probably be some debate about a national ban. We know that Chris Christie and Nikki Haley have fought over this issue before um, and, and relatively recently in Iowa. They're mm -hmm. going to talk about Trump's legal troubles. That's what you're going to hear about tonight. Yeah. Um, and I think they're just continuing to counter program us. Um, and we need to be doing better about not just speaking at our people about what is right, but actually getting to the heart of the heart about what our people care about, which is kitchen table issues and no, making I, sure that the Democrats don't sell us out. Nope, I think you're right. The Democrats don't sell us out. That's the key phrase. And you're right about the fact that they continue to, to counter program. I digress on that for now. Our remaining moments with Ashley Wooded Henderson when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Some... He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. More of Ashley Wood Henderson coming your way right now. Ashley, I got less than three minutes here. Let me do this right quick. Um, I want to close by you um, giving, allowing you to give the audience that address again for that Fascism 101 series tomorrow session six. But let me ask you right quick uh, again with less than three minutes here. When you when you mention uh, that the goal should be to live in a democracy where we we might not even have to work at all, but but be connected to our vocation, our avocation, our calling, our purpose in the world. Uh, what do you mean by that, right quick? Yeah, I mean we live in a country where we have been told and taught that the way that we get to lead a better life and have better and greater well-being for all people is through economic growth, right? The more money you get, the better your life is. But, you know, what we learned in hip-hop was more money, more problems, and mm. I think this country is literally dealing with that. So human development focuses on improving the lives of our people rather than assuming that economic growth alone will lead to them automatically being better people and having better lives. Income growth is a means uh, to development rather than an end mm. in and of itself, right? So yeah. what does it look like to build a country that is giving people more freedom to live the lives that they value 
Um, what does it look like to fundamentally give people more choice by providing people with opportunities and not just insisting that they make use of them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because that doesn't guarantee happiness, right? The process of development should at least create an environment for people collectively and individually to develop their full to their full potential and have yep. a reasonable chance of leading productive and creative lives that they value. So I think that we could inevitably live in that world if we actually prioritize and said we wanted to. We could do an hour just on that. As a matter of fact, the next time you come on, let's just delve into that that notion. <laughs> the next time you're back on this program, yeah. just spend an hour just on that on that in that in that frame, if I can put it that way. All right. So uh, one last time, thirty seconds. Um, give us that address again tomorrow. This is for the Fascism One Hundred and One Series Class Session Six. This is amazing, empowering stuff. Give me the address. Come and hang out with us. It's going to be 4 to 5 p.m. PT, 6 to 7.30 PT, 7 to 8.30 ET. Um, So 4 to 5.30 PT. And uh, you can find us at bit.ly backslash F-A-S-C-I-S-M 101-R-E-G. So bit.ly backslash fascism 101-REG. Ashley, uh, I say this to you all the time, but you are, as, as the old gospel song says, holding up the bloodstained banner. Uh, you are in uh, you are in that tradition uh, of Rosa Parks and Septima Clark and Dr. King and all those who came through Highlander Center uh, continuing uh, to make this institution uh, iconic uh, beyond uh, beyond measure uh, in terms of what it means to train our people to do the work and witness that needs to be done to redeem the soul of this nation. I love you. Ain't nothing you can do about it. I appreciate you and happy holidays. Love you, Travis. Stay strong.